Good morning, everyone. It's really good to share the word of God, especially in continuing the series from First Thessalonian to Second Thessalonian. You know, this morning, uh, as we continue with this series, allow me to give all of us a short background on the occasion and also the purpose of Second Thessalonian before I share with all of us some of the reflection that I felt the Lord is saying to us this morning. So let me just go on uh, to show you or to at least give you this background of the uh, occasion and purpose of Second Thessalonians so that uh, after the session uh, this afternoon, you may want to read through the second letter again uh, and to glean more from the Word of God. So this second letter to the Thessalonians most probably were written about a few months after First Thessalonians. You know, after a few months, uh, Paul wrote this second letter with this purpose to clear up confusion about the second coming of Jesus Christ. What happens is this, after, uh, after uh, sending his first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul received some news, extra additional news about the believers there. So a period of time has passed, he received some news, and he found and he knew that they were enduring the intense persecution. They are still doing quite well. They are experiencing great hardship but their, but their faith continue to stand there and despite all these challenges they are clinging on to God. Some of them uh, however were claiming also in that scenario uh, that Jesus had already returned. So that's why when you read uh, the second chapter uh, in Second Thessalonians you will realize that something that Paul was doing, writing in order to refute the rumor. So some of them uh, claimed that Jesus had returned, uh, disrupting their faith, confusing them in that sense. In fact, what happens is this, uh, that um, the, the rumor came in form of probably a letter that was uh, by another Paul, a false Paul, another person that imped, uh, impersonate Paul, writing to them saying that the second coming has come. So this is, this is the context. And because of that, thinking that they were in the final days since Jesus had come already, some of the believers then became lazy, refused to work, and said, since Jesus is already here, I shall not work anymore. And that itself disrupt uh, the whole community. That's why later on you will find also in the letter that Paul wrote something to the community, especially targeting this personnel that were lazy, that doesn't work, and he asked the community to do something uh, regarding them. And in Paul's view, these people were simply troublemaker. So as we go through this, right, you will realize that with this uh, situation that is happening in the Thessalonian church, Paul had to write this second letter to dispel the rumors and to guide the young church once again, to align them once again. And first, how he did it was that he encouraged them to continue to endure the persecution, continue uh, in their good works. Uh, for one day, God will come back himself and judge the people, and God will reward those that follow him. And that's where we found in chapter 1. 
Then second, he cleared up that confusion that I uh, made mention earlier about the second coming in chapter 2. And he denied strongly that Jesus had returned. And, and he gives some uh, backing or he at least gives some indication that the man of sin must come first before Jesus comes again. That's in chapter 2. And of course, in chapter 3, uh, he continued to encourage the believers what to do. As we read through this uh, whole letter, uh, this afternoon probably, I want to encourage all of us, we will see in Paul as a very concerned pastor over the young church, recognizing that the hardship they were already facing, the challenges that they have to endure for their faith in Christ. Paul was aware that all this confusion, all these challenges potentially can create harm to them. The false teaching that came out from, from a group of people can actually distract them from their spiritual journey. So his concern uh, uh, caused him to really write this letter, and his concern is to prevent any further distraction or confusion that may sidetrack the Thessalonian church away from the true path of following God. So that's why Paul wrote with encouragement. He wrote also uh, with correction to certain group of people and also asking the true believer to correct these people. He wrote with ammunition and intending to cause them and align them back to spiritual growth. It is in that midst of challenges, persecution, confusion that Paul wrote to them, encouraging them to grow in Christ. Don't be confused. He is saying, turn to your neighbor and say, don't be confused. With this background of the Thessalonians' growing faith, of which uh, just now the hosts have been mentioning that they are growing, with this background of them growing in their faith and their love for one another, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship and challenges, I want to share with all of us today to encourage us too to grow in our faith, to mature in the same way that the, the Thessalonian church had and as they allowed God to show them how to, as God allowed them to grow in that sense. In fact, I have to say this, the pressure and the challenges of life can act as catalysts for us to grow, to become more Christ-like. Maybe some of us in this season, we are facing that challenges. We are facing that confusion. We are facing that hardship. But I have to encourage all of us to say this, it is despite of all this, and, and all this can be catalyst for us to become more Christ-like. And I want to encourage all of us through today's message to take heart that we can grow despite the circumstances that we are in. And now turn to your neighbor and say, you know, take courage, brother, take courage, sister, you can grow. Encourage one another, please. Therefore, I entitle my message uh, this uh, morning, Grace and Peace, for our flourishing faith, our growing love, and our steadfast hope. And this is an 
outline just to guide us along in our thinking, our train of thought, that we can grow because first, the grace and peace of God is for us. And second, because of the grace and peace of God upon us, we can grow uh, with flourishing faith, growing love, and steadfast love, uh, steadfast hope. So allow me to read Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse one to four, for us for our meditation. Paul and Severus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it's only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged and your love of each other to, uh, towards each other grows even greater. Therefore, we speak ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and affliction which you endure. The first point that I want to bring across to all of us is this, that we can all grow because God's grace and his peace is for us. Paul greets the church with this word grace to you peace from god the father and our lord jesus christ and it's familiar to us because that's what our senior pastor always greet us but here in this context it is more than just a normal christian greeting uh, the terms grace and peace of god is more than just a standard writing form of greeting for the people it is more than just a hi or how are you to open the letter. Here, Paul is declaring the peace and the grace of God upon them. He's actually reminding the people that they were recipients of God's grace. They are recipients of God's peace. And by declaring the peace, the grace of God upon them, and I'm very sure that he's praying that they would experience God's grace and peace in a fuller measure. So when we come across these two terms, and I know that it has been mentioned many times uh, in our Christian journey, uh, in fact, these two terms, grace and peace, can summarize Christianity, and it's, it's an important term term but allow me uh, for this setting to just describe to all of us or at least define for all of us what is grace and what is peace so that uh, as we read through the letter we can also appreciate uh, how this grace and the peace of god caused the thessalonian church to grow and this grace and peace of god can also cause us to grow so what is peace in paul's usage this word grace, uh, the Greek is uh, carries, carries this basic sense of favor. There's favor upon you. And when God or Christ is the subject, it actually means this, that, that there's this, there's this grace is acting in grace towards mankind. It is undeserving favor given from the divine to us the undeserving so usually when paul uses this word grace he means this then how or maybe i i will phrase it this way 
Every time when Paul uses he reminds the reader the goodness of God that gives blessing and favor even to us that's undeserving, especially in terms of the undeserving favor and kindness that he gave his son to us. It's the ultimate. We are undeserving, but yet God gave that favor, that blessing, his goodness to us. That's grace. How about peace? Peace is this. Peace has this idea of shalom, okay, wholeness of which we understand from the, uh, from the Hebrew understanding. But grace, uh, but peace also ties the grace of God uh, to the foundation of the God of the Jews, meaning to say something like this. It is about a right standing that's given to us when we have peace with God. The idea of shalom, yes, wholeness, but when Paul uses this word peace, many a times he describes it as an objective state of peace with God. It's the right standing with God. It is God's gift and forgiveness to mankind so that we can be reconciled and have peace with God. So you will see in Paul's writing in Romans, in some of the letters, that when he uses this term peace, it's about the right standing of God. It's about God reconciling us to him and we have peace with God. Maybe for us to appreciate it better when Paul uses this word grace and peace to the churches, uh, what is his understanding? I think I want to explore with all of us based on his testimony and allow me to bring all of us to Acts chapter 9. By appreciating uh, Paul's testimony, how he experienced grace and peace. Maybe when we look at this term grace and peace from Paul, you know, we will appreciate better. So I want to bring us our attention to the part of Acts chapter 9, if you can remember. Acts chapter 9 talks about the conversion story of Paul when he was on the road to Damascus, trying to persecute Christians, trying to get a letter of authority to further cause damage to the Christian, Jesus met Paul, and Paul experienced the grace and the peace of God in that road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. So you can refer to that as you go back and read. So the context is this, he was a persecutor to the church, uh, causing uh, threat, wanting to murder the Christian. Then on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared in that bright, shining light. Heaven flashed that light on him, knocked him on the ground, and then he heard the voice of Jesus. Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There, if you can put yourself in uh, Paul's shoe, that scenario, you will realize that you have experienced grace. Why is it so? Because he was destroying the Christian. He's trying to cause terrible damage to the church. Maybe, you know, uh, you know he was the one that instigated the killing of many Christians. He's a terrible sinner in that sense wanting to cause damage to the Christian, to God's people. So what happens here? 
logically to our human uh, uh, logic or, or same consequences, we will say this, Paul, you deserve terrible retribution. You should be eternally punished. Instant death, when you meet that light, should boom, evaporate, no more. I mean, some of us, we got wicked thoughts like this, or maybe it's just me. Turn to your neighbor and say, forgive him. <laughs> but it didn't happen. What did he receive? He actually received grace. He was not only forgiven then, but there he was also commissioned to be an apostle of Christ, to take the good news to the nation, to the Gentiles, and to impact the world for Jesus Christ. He didn't deserve it, but yet he received blessing, favor, grace from God. He experienced that. How about this uh, portion of peace? This incident in Acts 9 again also allowed him to experience the peace of God. First, it was the assurance of the peace with God through Jesus Christ. When Paul called Saul was first introduced in Acts chapter 7, okay, I rewind a little bit, Acts chapter 9, right? Now we come to Acts chapter 7. He was, he was there at the martyrdom of Stephen. I mean, he was there at the death of Stephen. And allow me to use my imagination here. Before the death of Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, uh, which Paul was there, Paul was approving his death. He must have met Stephen. He must have participated in his healing. And Stephen's death was such an impact to Paul because recognizing this in Acts chapter 7, verse 55 to 56, when Stephen was about to die, he saw heaven open. He saw the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. And then at that point of time, Stephen knew that he's about to be received, and he prayed that, Lord, will you forgive those that are doing all this terrible harm? He prayed for their forgiveness, which includes Paul at that point of time at the surrounding. Maybe he's the instigator. So can you imagine this? Paul at that point must have that incident sealed in his whole, um, uh, whole being, you know, whole soul, you know, engraved inside and say, Who, why this guy is like this? You know, we are killing him, we are persecuting him, we are stoning him. And yet, he said he saw Jesus and he prayed for my forgiveness. He prayed for our forgiveness. So I believe that this incident must have caused uh, certain, uh, I mean, must have imprinted in Paul's uh, soul in that sense. So with this incident, with this episode, we fast forward to Acts chapter 9. When Jesus met him, he should be severely punished for the things he has done to the Christian, yet he experienced grace, yet he also experienced the peace of God. The peace probably that comes through the prayer of Stephen saying, forgive him, Lord, and he was reconciled to God. And subsequently, because Paul understood this uh, importance of the peace of God, he started to write about it, of which we 
saw, we, we read in, in the gospel, uh, not in the gospel, in the letters of Paul to the churches, because Paul recognized that the peace of God can influence, can affect all of us in terms of our relationship with God. Unless we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, there is no right standing, there's no uh, right for all of us to come before the presence of God and say, Lord, will you bless us? Will you give us grace? Will you give us peace? There's no right for us to, that, to do that. But the peace of God enables us to come before God to ask for resources that we need. The peace of God also, as Paul has experienced, uh, which is very evident in the midst of, in terms of that persecution and challenge, we can see that the peace of God actually preserved Paul. Uh, his, probably his, stand, uh, his, his, his stability, his ability to work in the midst of all those chaos, troubles, challenges, opposition because he has peace in God in the midst of all those chaos. And that's what I feel in preparing this message. Some of us, maybe we are in that, that situation whereby we need the peace of God because outside is so chaotic. Outside is so challenging. Outside of us, our external circumstances is so pressing that unless we experience the peace in God, peace with God, peace in God, peace of God, I think we will just waver and allow the world to carry us. So I want to encourage all of us as we understand this, I want to say and I want to encourage that the peace of God, the grace of God is available for us today if we ask of God. As I, as I did the study of Second Thessalonians, I also find this very interesting, just an extra piece of information uh, to delight those uh, people that like to study. If you realize how Paul uh, writes uh, Second Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, you will realize that the grace, the peace of God uh, is, is like the, is, is the bookend of, of, the, of the book, you know, of the letter. In the beginning, it started with grace and peace to you. At the end, if you realize of the letter, it also ends with peace and grace. Something for us to take note. So that actually highlights to me the significant impact of the grace and the peace of God in our lives, especially during tough times, especially in our tough growing journey. For the Thessalonians, they were in this situation whereby unless divine grace and peace were granted to them, they were left by themselves to navigate uh, the chaotic, the pressurizing, the challenging situation by their own strength. And we all know that by our own strength or wisdom or cleverness, it will be weak foundation that's being uh, built. But with that grace, with that peace of God given to them and to us, there will be divine enablement, favor, blessing, wholeness, stability, 
in our faith journey. And may the grace and the peace of God be upon us, just like it is upon them. So in reflection, as I reflect on this point about the grace and the peace of God, I realize that we have a faithful God who will not withhold from us what we ask of Him. Uh, the fact that He has already made available the grace, the peace of His to us should give us confidence and comfort and even courage. His peace, His grace are available to us. He is the source of grace and peace for us. As Paul said, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, grace to you. That's why Paul can declare it to the Thessalonian, and we can come confidently to God for it. How do we have grace and peace? How do we have this? I want to remind all of us that the grace, the peace of God is something that we cannot strive for. That's it. And that actually brings comfort to me. Maybe uneasiness because we tend to work for things. But I have to say this, that it's a divine gift that we cannot strive for. We cannot earn it. It is supernatural. It's just simply God, His goodness. And since, listen to this, brothers and sisters, since it is from God and there's no way we can earn it, the only thing that we can do is to ask. The only thing that we can do is ask. And the confidence is this God will give to us. The only thing that we can do is also to pray for one another. Ask for ourselves. Pray for one another. That's what Paul is doing. Grace and peace to you. And also we can ask for ourselves. Since it is divine and we cannot earn it, what else can we do but to come to God, come to the source of the grace and peace and say, Lord, I need it in my situation. I need it. Give me your peace in your situation. You say, Lord, I need your grace. That's simple, but yet it's hard, right? It's so simple, us, but how many of us will do this? So I really want to encourage all of us this morning as I was looking through again the message, this, this is what I felt. You know, some of us, we are in that situation. Just ask God a simple prayer to say, Lord, will you give me your grace? Will you give me your peace? I want to encourage all of us to come to the source of grace and peace. Let me go on to my second point. As we receive from God, his grace, His peace, that's evidence of our growth. And this is in terms of our flourishing faith, our growing love, and our steadfast hope. Verse 3 to 4, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged. Some version, I think in the NLT, talks about your, your faith is flourishing. And the love of each other, each of you towards one another grows even greater. Some of your versions say grow even more. 
Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you amongst the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecution, affliction, which you endure. The evidence of our growth will show. But yet, when Paul wrote this, he was referring to God that gives that growth. Realize how he wrote verse 3 ought always to give thanks to God for you as his only fitting. He's attributing the growth of the Thessalonian to God. Actually, when we compare this letter with the earlier letter of Paul, uh, you will find that there's similarity. But comparing what we have read just now with the first letter in chapter 1, verse 2 to 3, you will realize this. I'm not going to read, just look at the screen. I'm just going to make my point. It's just that there is this greater emphasis, a stronger tone of thanksgiving here in Second Thessalonians, a greater recognition that God is the one that caused growth to take place. If we realize this, we will see that Paul gave thanks to God for the Thessalonians because it was God who made it possible for them to flourish in their faith, to grow in their love for one another. And it is in the light of the grace and the work of God upon them that Paul gave thanks and boasts about them amongst the churches. I think it's a good reminder for all of us uh, regarding the grace and the works of growth in our life. The fact that some of us, or maybe I put it in this way, the fact that people grow spiritually under us, under maybe our teaching, our mentorship, uh, our shepherding, the fact that people grow under us cannot be viewed totally as our own big contribution. I'm talking about the ego that, that sometimes we have. It is not us, the verse reminds this. It is not us, but God that caused growth. So we don't boast. We need to have a humble attitude. We don't boast about ourselves causing the people to grow because of my Bible study, because the way I facilitate it, because the way that I preach it, people grow. No, the verse says this, it is actually God that caused growth. And with that, we ought always to acknowledge God for His grace and His peace upon our lives. That's why Paul is saying this, uh, I thank God for you, for your growth, because it is God that caused growth. It gives us also this, uh, this encouragement that as we look to God, God can help us grow. I want to encourage all of us on this point. It's a reminder for our ego that it is not us, our big contribution. It is God. And because it is God, all the more we should acknowledge Him. We, can, we must tap upon Him for He is the one that caused and enabled growth. For example, 
again using first and second Thessalonian. Paul, according to first Thessalonian, has been constantly praying for the Thessalonian church day and night. You can you can read it in First Thessalonians. Paul constantly pray for their growth in the midst of uh, persecution, and a few months have already passed, and yet they are still experiencing the growth, that faith in God. Paul could have boasted about himself, but he didn't, because ultimately he recognizes he can pray, and we can pray. You can pray. But at the end, who answers the prayer? It's God. So it's not about the big eye or the big ego, but it's always turning our eyes back to God, to the source of peace, the source of hope. Paul, in this portion, recognized that God caused growth. And the evidence of God's provision for growth is in their flourishing faith, their growing hope, and their growing love for one another, and their hope, their perseverance, steadfastness in the midst of persecution and challenge. And I want to highlight for us some points here. Okay, next slide. Let me just continue. I want to make some observation here regarding the, the, the verse in verse 3. Can someone just help me? Okay, thanks. Few observation here regarding the, the growth here. When Paul uses a certain Greek word to describe faith and love, he, he uses the Greek term to illustrate uh, that growth is actually dynamic, uh, it's not static, it's not one time, it's continuation. So that's why uh, in some of your version in verse 3, you will find that in terms of describing faith, words like flourishing comes up, uh, words like greatly enlarged we see here, words like growing comes up. And then in describing love, uh, it talks about increasing. It talks about growing more and more. It talks about growing in that sense. The idea here that Paul is trying to say is this, that our faith, our, our faith is dynamic. It's not static. It's growing. The faith and love of one another is growing. It cannot be a full stop. It is growing. Keep on growing all our lives. So it described to us that as our trust in God uh, increases, actually we increase in all areas. We flourish in all areas. We grow and increase in all areas. Because after all, our faith is in a living person. It's a relationship. It can always increase, but it can sometimes also decrease. And a growing faith illustrate or indicate really in Paul's uh, letter here, a growing Christian, a growing Christian. What is my point here when I bring this uh, out to all of us? I want to encourage all of us, 
we ought to examine ourselves, evaluate ourselves. Are we growing? Are we growing? Because here Paul saw the growth in Thessalonians and said, God, I thank you. It is you that enabled them to grow. And with that, he boasts about the Thessalonian to the other church to show the other church that this is an example you ought to follow, especially in their steadfastness, in that hope, that perseverance in the midst of persecution. Brothers and sisters, uh, in reflection of this point, I want to ask of you, how are you growing? How are you who receive the grace and the peace of God upon your life are growing? Are your faith flourishing? Or is it just static? Or maybe are our love for one another growing? Because the thing is, this faith is not static but dynamic. Is growing. Faith is a relationship of trust in God, just like all other relationships, is growing, dynamic, living. In fact, Jesus says that there's, uh, I mean, by the way, Jesus, when, when Jesus described faith, he described also various degrees of faith. Jesus said, You of little faith, you of great faith. So faith is not static, it's, it can grow. Maybe it can also decrease, as what I mentioned earlier. So is your faith growing? Is my faith growing? We need to evaluate ourselves in that sense. Are we flourishing in our faith? Are we growing in our love for one another? Are we steadfast in the hope that we have? Despite all the challenges and the persecution and the things that are happening outside? Or should I put it in this way? Is our faith or relationship with God so strong, so real, that even though we are going through troubles, it doesn't matter? Because there are people that because there are people that when trouble comes, faith is not strong, the relationship with God is not genuine, they just will, they will, they will be sweep, uh, swept away in that sense. So in evaluation of this, I want to encourage all of us, again, eyes on God. Come to the source of our grace our peace and allow God to help us. I'm not sure about us that are sitting in the congregation right now or maybe back at home seeing this uh, online streaming. I'm not sure about our spiritual growth in God right now. Only you can evaluate in the light of what you are going through right now. 
Let me repeat myself. Only you, only myself can evaluate uh, in the light of what we are going through right now. Some of us, could it be that we are not growing due to the deficit of God's grace and peace? Why do I say this? Could it be that we are relying too much on our strength, our ability, our own uh, ability to do Bible study, or, or our own strength, or our own weakness, or our own resolve to grow ourselves? Because evidently, as we look at this scripture, it is the peace, the grace, it is the enablement of God that causes us to grow. So could it be the reason that we are not growing is that we are relying too much on ourselves and saying that, God, I can grow by myself. I don't, need, I don't need you. Could it be so? I don't know. Or could it be the other extreme for some of us that we are not growing not because that God's grace and peace is not upon us, but instead we are too passive and say, God, you just do anything that you want. I just limbe. You know, don't do anything. No, it doesn't work this way. We all know that we have to hold all this intention. It is true that God's grace uh, enable us. It is His peace that sort of protect us, but it doesn't neglect our role to cultivate our own spiritual growth. It must be an active participation on our part, tapping on the grace of God. It is our responsibility. Are we relying too much on ourselves, or are we absorbing? our responsibility to grow and say, God, you just grow me. Lah. I don't do anything. No. Let me just show you this scripture on uh, my last slide. If we look at what Paul uh, wrote in 1 Corinthians, it also gave us the same idea that he had in 2 Thessalonians. He said this, I planted Apollo's water, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth is giving glory to God. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. What's happening here? Paul knows that ultimately it's God that causes growth. But they need to plant. They need to water. Now, some of us read this verse and say, oh, God will just do it. But Paul say, I plant and Apollos water. So it's a tension here. And in Paul's example, we see then how he fervently prayed, he taught, he labored, he nurtured the growth of others. He recognized he has to do something. But yet, uh, he also recognized ultimately it is God that caused transformation, his grace, his peace. So with that, what can we do, GFC, to help one another grow? Knowing that ultimately it's God that caused that increase or eventually give that growth. 
I want to encourage all of us, brothers and sisters, and I invite the uh, worship team here. I want to encourage all of us that we continue to engage in our spiritual discipline exercises. Prayer, especially prayer for ourselves, prayer for one another, and pray specifically for the grace and the peace of God to be upon us and upon one another. We need to continue that active engaging of the spiritual exercise or discipline. Intentional learning, we need to do that. Yet, we need to do it with a posture of humility, of reliance, acknowledging that ultimately it is God who will bring about that growth. Lest we become proud or say that it is because of me, uh, self-reliance also. I encourage all of us today, this morning, to come back to the source that can help us grow spiritually, especially in the midst of trouble, challenges in your workplace, conflict in the family. We need the grace we need the peace of God. Allow me to pray for all of us. Lord, we recognize that we cannot earn or strive for grace and peace. It is just a divine, simply divine gift from you. And since it is so, we humble ourselves this morning to you and say we need you. We are coming to you, our source of grace and peace. And us, Lord, will you give me your grace, your peace. Brothers and sisters, for the next 10 seconds, will you just make this simple prayer to God? Understanding that you are faced with that turmoil, around you right now, maybe your family, your workplace, your school. Just say, Lord, I need your grace. I need your peace. And may the Lord supernaturally grant you this because it's just supernatural. And I pray, Lord, to the grace, the peace of God to be upon my brothers and sisters as we humble ourselves before you, grant to us. Lord, I also want to pray for GEFC that we will continue to experience growth spiritually, not just flourishing faith, but Lord, our love for one another will grow. Because as we grow in you, Lord, we will also grow to love one another. And Lord, I pray also allow our relationship with you to be genuine and real. So that in the midst of all those confusion, disruption, distraction, maybe destruction and, and, and those opposition coming, Lord, we will say that our relationship with you is worth more than all this temp 
temporary disruption in our lives and we will stand fast and hope in you. So God, Lord, with this word that goes forth this morning, will you help us focus back to you and tap on you always, Lord, even with that simple prayer. So Lord, help us, grant us grace and peace as we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people say,